When a person is in a state of fear, despair, hate, anger, uh, trauma, they always seem to have more and more of that coming back at them. The law of attraction, it works on frequencies. If it's a low frequency, the universe says, oh, give them more of this low frequency. High frequency, give them more of the high frequency. So it works in both ways. This quest for power and domination over others is the weakness. It's the Achilles heel of mankind. When you begin to truly hear your own voice in your head, that's you talking to you from a higher plane of existence. And I think that once you, once this avatar body ceases to exist and work and it releases your spiritual energy, you reconnect with your higher self in a higher dimension. Mm. And you begin to see things for what they really, really are. Before we get into one of the most mind-blowing interviews that I've been a part of, that I've seen, I want to commend you for being here. Because I know that if you made it up to here, then that means that you are actively seeking out wisdom and knowledge that is going to help you elevate in all areas of your life. And Billy Carson, you chose the right interview because Billy Carson went so deep in this conversation. We literally did not hold anything back this was my first time meeting Billy in person, and I gotta tell you guys, this man is the real deal. Not only does he have a brilliant mind, but his heart is so giving, so pure. The way that he interacts with people, the way that he talks to you, the way that his presence actually establishes an energy of trust and comfortability. I was, I was so humbled to be um, in that position to interview him and bring that to the collective because I know that a lot of the information that is coming through Billy is super important for the elevation and awakening of the human species. So we're going to get into the DNA mutations that happened in the human race. We're going to get into the mysteries of the pyramids. We're going to go weave and dive deeper than we did in our first conversation, which if you haven't seen is incredible. It has touched the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. But this one, we didn't hold back. We just went deeper and deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. We talked about underwater beings that may um, be existing on planet Earth. We talked about how to manifest through frequency again on a much deeper basis. But this isn't a conversation that you do not want to miss. And I am very happy to bring this forth. This interview was first recorded live on the Forbidden Knowledge channel so i recommend you guys go check out billy's youtube channel it has some incredible information and wisdom that you are going to benefit from and if you want more conversations like this subscribe to this channel i know that it just takes a little little effort to subscribe but we're going to be bringing on some of the most brilliant minds and hearts onto this channel and i don't want you to miss it so i hope you enjoy this conversation round two with Forbidden Knowledge, Billy Carson. Much love. Hey, 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 it's Billy Carson, a.k.a. Forbidden Knowledge. I'm here with a pop-up podcast with my friend and host, Emilio Ortiz. What's up, Emilio? What's up, brother? Good to have you here. Hey, thank you, man. If you don't know Good who to this be is, here. <laughs> he's in the Forbidden Castle. <laughs> Sir. You got to go check out his YouTube account. It's down in the uh, caption below. It'll also be in the podcast link, wherever you're hearing this audio podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to uh, Emilio Ortiz's YouTube account. 
He has some of the most amazing interviews with some of the most amazing people. I got to ask you a question first. How in the world do you get these amazing people on your podcast, man? How are you doing this, man? You got a, you got a lineup. I think it all starts with what you talk about, yeah. which you have to become the frequency of mm. that experience to yeah. get to that point, to create an experience. Right. And for me, it's only, it first started with a lot of persistence. Mm. And then slowly when I started learning more about how manifestation actually works, yeah. I started letting go of the outcome and just gotcha. started drawing. Like now, sometimes mm -hmm. it's like, hey, can we link up? Or, wow. or a guest of yeah. mine says, I'm going to connect you with this person, that nice. person. It's like a domino effect. But yeah. it's really becoming, as you said, like being in that consciousness. Yeah where you're attracting that frequency. It's all attracting. You're uh -huh. not chasing, you're attracting. Yeah, yeah. Living yeah. proof. The proof is in the pudding. Check out his YouTube account, guys. You won't be disappointed. It's an amazing YouTube account. Um, and we're going to have a, a deep conversation today. It's going to be a great conversation. Um, you know, and you're going to really, I think, get something incredible out of this conversation that we have today because Emilio is an expert on asking some of the greatest questions. <laughs> Humbling me out here, bro. <laughs> now you're good, man. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You're good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it takes a special type of a talent to be able to manage these types of conversations mm -hmm. because it can be overwhelming when you're interviewing people that um, have receive such a high level of success yeah. as you have on your YouTube account and, and understanding that they deserve a certain level of, of leniency, respect, dignity, uh, and control of the conversation in some aspects. So you got to know how to manage people's mm -hmm. egos, even though that sounds strange, but it's like being a basketball coach, a great basketball coach knows how to manage the egos of the players mm -hmm. so that, you know, you can talk to this player this way, but this player, you can't say this to, you can have to say it a different way. You can be more aggressive with this one and this one you can't be as aggressive with. It's just yeah. balance. It's this ebb and flow that you have to have when you're interviewing people. And mm -hmm. you've mastered that pretty well, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah, thank you. No, nah, yeah. man. So as you guys can see, the title is We Are the Gods. We have been waiting for it. It's going to be an amazing talk today. Make sure you guys like and share this video. And so, Emilio, what do you? what's on your mind, man? What do you got? Man, well, <laughs> first of all, I, today uh, I finished watching Black, Black Knight Satellite. Oh, wow. So... One of the last things in that documentary was that you mentioned, this is a direct quote, mm -hmm. we are the gods that we've been waiting for. Yes. And it stuck with me and mm -hmm. I wanted to open up today. You yeah. even named this, this uh, show, yeah. we are the gods we've been waiting for. Yeah, are yeah. we? Right. Are we? <laughs> so just to start off there, I guess we have all this ancient wisdom that you've uncovered from mm -hmm. the tablets yeah. and all these other things and the real story behind the right. human creation. Right. So what is the DNA right now that humanity is uncovering mm -hmm. that is allowing us to recognize that we're yeah. the gods that we've been waiting for? You know, it's this gradual process of growth and self-awareness, which all is about the RNA and the DNA, to be honest, because the DNA is awakening us. The RNA is awakening us to who we truly are. As we begin to see people start to look inward instead of outward yeah. and start to question the reality, question the norm, question the mainstream, it then takes them down a rabbit hole, which forces them to research and look for answers. And, the, and when they begin to find specific answers, yeah. another spark goes off in their body. Hmm. And that's the DNA releasing answers. In other words, they're not really looking for answers. They're looking for confirmation. The body is already telling you, your DNA is already telling you, this is the path. The mainstream is telling you, no, this is the path. But you're getting better confirmation over here because it, it just, it doesn't insult your soul. 
And right now where we are in the universe, our solar system, it actually undulates up and down around the giant Milky Way. Mm -hmm. And these movements are huge, hundreds of millions of miles as it undulates up and down. Right now, we're at the perfect center of the equator of where the supermassive black hole is at the center of our galaxy. Mm. Scientists have identified this since 2013. Huge streaming particles are coming toward us at an incredible rate at the speed of light, and they are actually hitting us. And those charged particles and that particular type of radiation, it actually penetrates into your body and it begins to ping your DNA and it begins to re-encode it. This is real science. Yeah. And so we know that our DNA codes are changing and it's a lot of it's because of we've risen to this level. Now we're we're in the age of, of, of questioning and, and getting and looking for answers. Yep. This information age. Right. Quintus. And at the same time, we're getting these streaming particles, which are are uh, reprogramming and changing and editing our DNA. And we're also learning how to reprogram our own selves by talking to ourselves and doing affirmations and everything else. So it's this combination of all this happening at once, which is giving us this awakening to the fact that we are God and God is us and that we are God walking in the flesh, each and every one of us. And there is no separation. We're all the same entity, yeah. just in different variations or different forms. Yeah. In the Emerald Tablets of Toth, you mm -hmm. break down how we're living in this fractal holographic universe. Yeah. So I'm wondering if as our DNA is changing, as you know, the frequency of the planet is changing, mm -hmm. How would that affect it on a dimensional level yeah. as a planet? Well, you know, so there are 11 dimensions. At least we believe that in theoretical physics, right? Mm -hmm. And we believe that um, now through real, real science that the brain is connecting to 11 dimensions. I just did a huge lecture on that the other day where scientists and laboratories have now uh, understood now that the brain, the synapses between the connections in the brain, the neurons are phasing in and out of the third dimension. Yeah and connecting potentially in the theory to higher dimensions. And so that means that the earth itself, which is conscious, the earth itself is actually conscious. It's also connecting to these higher dimensions. Mm. It has a capability of phase shifting consciously to higher levels of thought and awareness of its own self. And so I believe that as the human beings on the surface become more conscious and we get this mass awakening it's also going to allow the earth to transform to its true dimension or its true, its true self where it really wants to be this higher level of self that the earth has it as well. And that we can phase shift together into this, you know, higher dimensional of consciousness. Mm. And this physical third dimension will always be here, but our thought level will be so high, we'll be able to perceive the past, present and future at the same time. We'll be able to see the end before the beginning. We'll begin to tap into our true innate abilities that we already have. And we'll recognize that we're all true, truly spiritual beings mm. and that there is no separation. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can start even relating to the fact that these personal experiences are happening mm -hmm. to them. I was just having a conversation mm -hmm. with a friend last night who was able to basically re relive a whole past lifetime wow. and understand how her close relative right mm -hmm. now is the same character that was in that past lifetime. Yeah. They're working out some karma. Wow. And how do you perceive karma right mm -hmm. now? Karma is a, is a real thing. I really do believe that karma is a real thing. It's, it's, it works along the law of, the, of attraction. Yeah. And so a lot of people think that the law of attraction only works in positivity and abundance, but that's not true. The law of attraction works in also negativity and dark energy. And, you know, so if a person's 
always um, doing things wrong or being, you know, doing wrong things, I should say, um, you know, being bad, uh, trying to hurt people, uh, trying to uh, injure people, whatever the case may be, dark things, all the dark thoughts, that is going to reciprocate back to them. Mm -hmm. When a person is in a state of fear, despair, hate, anger, uh, trauma, they always seem to have more and more of that coming back at them because the law of attraction, it works on frequencies. If it's a low frequency, the universe says, oh, give them more of this low frequency. High frequency, give them more of the high frequency. So it works in both ways. So people have to be very careful because, you know, there's a situation, in my opinion, with karma, where if you're always focusing on the dark stuff and always doing dark or engaging in darkness, you're going to get more darkness coming yeah. at you. And that darkness, in my opinion, could supersede your lifetime in this avatar body. It could follow your spiritual energy, which is eternal. So people say, well, you know, the person died. It's all over for them. Well, maybe not. The energy never dies. It only transforms. Mm -hmm. Is the karma tracking that spiritual energy into the next life? It's possible. Yeah. We will be putting out an interview soon with Dr. Edmund Alexander. Okay. Um, he wrote The Proof of Heaven, and he was essentially brain dead for seven days. He wow. was a neuro neurosurgeon. Yeah. And his story is interesting because he says that while he was behind the veil, while he was on the other side, mm. he realized that the life review was a real thing mm -hmm. and that you would get a life review. But the thing, the caveat is that you wouldn't review your life from your own eyes, okay. but through the eyes of the other people wow. that really? you influenced. Oh, wow. So he even said that things in that realm are magnified mm. emotion wise. So you're going to be feeling what you said to that person. If you said, I love you to that person, mm -hmm. you're going to feel that love wow. back towards you. Yeah. If you say, I hate you to a person, uh, the same thing. It's a mirror. So I wanted to dive deep into this aspect of the past life. Mm. Uh, I mean, the, the afterlife. The afterlife, yeah. Because the Egyptians have their own mm -hmm. interpretation of it. You looked yeah. at the tablets, what their own story is about yeah. it. And many religions around the world have mm -hmm. their own interpretation yeah. of it. You right now, after having all the research, have, mm -hmm. you know, gone on your own journey. Yeah. What is the afterlife, afterlife looking for you? So based on what I've studied from both the Atlantean priest king and the Emerald Tablets, you know, it's about there's two levels. So one level is becoming an ascended master, hmm. working yourself so intently and focusing on consciousness ascension on a daily basis so that you get to the point where he talks about being able to incarnate at will. He also says on and in the plane that you desire. In other words, he's talking about incarnating when he wants to and even in any dimension he wants to incarnate at. That's when you become the master, right? But there's also this level where people uh, come back over and over again because it seems as if they're not learning the lessons that they were put here to learn. And they go through this process of learning and focusing eventually on ascending. But some people can come back 10 times, 100 times, hundreds of times, thousands of times. And so what I began to realize is before I go into the afterlife, that there are people on this planet that could be 60 and 70 years old that are newborns spiritually. Mm -hmm. And there's people here that could be 15, 20, 30 years old that are ancient, mm -hmm. super ancient people. They could have been here already a thousand times. They're finally getting it yeah. now. They're old on their souls. path to Old souls, yeah. exactly. And so you have this dichotomy there between people that appear to be physically old, but actually are brand new babies. And I think that when you get into it, you're talking about the afterlife, we're talking about entering your spiritual energy, reconnecting with source, mm -hmm. your higher self. I think that we're all connected to a higher self and that the voice we hear in our head talking to us, we might mask that voice and make it seem like this deep voice and, you know, this 
but really it's really our voice. We morph it into something else. When you begin to truly hear your own voice in your head, that's you talking to you from a higher plane of existence. And I think that once you, once this avatar body ceases to exist and work and it releases your spiritual energy, you reconnect with your higher self in a higher dimension. Mm. And you begin to see things for what they really, really are. Yeah. And like the ancient say, the ancient aboriginals that I sat with in Australia, this is sleepy time. This entire, they call this sleepy time. In other words, this is an illusion. This is a dream world. Mm. And that the real world exists when you die. So we're just waiting to wake up. Yeah. And I was mentioning to you right before we started recording, Dolores Cannon. Oh, and yeah. I'm reading her books right now. I'm mm -hmm. just studying her work. is yeah. fascinating. But one of the things she mentioned right now is that there's waves of volunteers that are coming onto the planet mm -hmm. to work with light and yeah. elevate and help humanity evolve. Mm -hmm. And Thoth, in this book that you mentioned, when you break down the tablets, he mm -hmm. uses the word a lot, the children of light. Yes. So I just wanted to break down what that means, because mm -hmm. that just has a lot of correlations with, you know, the new wave of children that are coming into yeah. the world right now yeah. that are bringing that light, helping our species <laughs> ascend, ascend yeah. to the next uh, level. Mm -hmm. So what are the children of light and how yeah. both saw it and how you see it as mm -hmm. well, like with the future generations? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. The children of light are these, these indigo children that you see popping up all over the world. The younger generations that are coming in with the old soul mentality and consciousness, but also not grasping on to the fake illusory concepts that were forced on them as children. They, they were able to override their programming code like this. Mm -hmm. They knew right away that information is dogma. That information is not accurate. That information is false. I'm here to, to talk about this. I'm here to learn this. I'm here to teach this. And, and, and um, these are people that have agreed, in my opinion, to come here and assist in the launching of mankind back towards the golden age. golden age. And there are literally millions of people that are here right now as we speak. Some are babies and some are even adults now that are here for one purpose and one purpose only, to help usher mankind back up to the next golden age. Both who call himself a son of Atlantis, and he also called himself a son of man, which is ironic that Yeshua, aka Jesus, calls himself the son of man in the Bible, mm. right? And he said his mission is to help man find and seek the light. He used to travel the universe from watching civilizations rise and fall. That's That takes a long time. <laughs> to watch He's been around. He's been around. Right? Around. But that man truly always wants to seek the light and that we will get back to a golden age, that the golden age is within our reach. And his mission was to help raise mankind back up. In other words, we had been there before mm. to a high level of civilization. Yeah. yeah. So that takes us back, I think, to Atlantis mm -hmm. and some of the things that you've discovered about Atlantis, because obviously both the Atlantean, mm -hmm. he was coming from that land yeah. uh, and that civilization. Mm -hmm. For some reason, it fell, yeah. and there's many interpretations of it. I know mm -hmm. from the tablets, they're telling us, the ancient cultures are telling us mm -hmm. about the flood yeah. and everything that happened. But what do you think are some things that we can extract from that point in civilization mm -hmm. that we can start applying to what's going on right now? Yeah. Well, you have to look. And when you look deep into the Atlantean story, you discover that there was some disarray. There were some disagreements, there were some fighting, there were some wars between these Atlantean people because of differences of opinion, um, you know, quest for power yeah. over, over, over other humans. Uh, the Atlantean civilization wasn't just a ring city. That was just one capital of dozens that existed on Earth. So the entire planet itself is Atlantis. Yeah, yeah. Wherever you are right now, you're in Atlantis. Mm -hmm. And 
these battles ensued and even the jealousy and the prejudice of the fact that an Atlantean king would have uh, take a, a human as a wife. That was another big problem. One of the biggest problems that caused one of the big wars. And so you had all this crazy stuff going on and these quests for power and domination and control mm-hmm. by not all of them, by, by, but by most. And you saw like Thoth, the Atlantean, how that wasn't his mission. His mission was to enlighten humans. His mission was to bring knowledge, alchemy, chemistry, uh, you know, languages, building uh, techniques and so forth and enlightenment to the world. He created the first mystery schools. And so you had some that were dark and evil and some that wanted to bring the light. And you have to look back at that time and realize the past is prologue. What happens in the past is doomed to repeat itself again, unless we learn about it and learn the lessons from it, which is where your question is going. So we have to really look and analyze what is it that is causing this to continue to happen to us, these rise and falls of civilization, which we know has happened at least four times. Now we have to say, look, this is what happened. Ego. Ego crept in. Mm -hmm. Ego crept in. The want and will. When you have everything you want and you're fully loaded, like there's no more money that you can get that will help change your life at any point. Like, Like Putin's got $300 billion and he wants more power. I mean, he's at the point now where more power does nothing, more money does nothing. But you still, the, the quest to continue to do that is the driving force. It's like a mirror of what he's doing to, to a mirror of the past. This quest for power and domination over others is the weakness. It's the Achilles heel of mankind. We have to learn from that and say, look, no more. How do we have unconditional love for one another? How do we work together, even though we are all different and we have mm-hmm. our own differences, right? How do we work together and, and we forget about this divide and conquer tactics that they use on us all the time to keep us separated and fighting one another so that we can't see what's really going on behind the veil? We have to, at some point, realize we as 8 billion people now on this planet have to come together and work together and love one another, regardless of who we are, what we are, what we believe in, what we don't believe in. And we have to stop playing the game. Right now, 100 people control 8 billion people. 100 control 8 billion. So when you look at that number and you go to the ancient past, you see the same exact thing. The Anunnaki in the tablets, in in the Sumerian tablets, not in this book, but in the Sumerian tablets, they say that there are so many of them and so little of us. Mm. At any moment, at any moment, they can realize they don't need us. So they were even afraid of this in the ancient past. It's the same thing going on right now. Mm. We have 8 billion of us and we're fighting each other. We're abusing each other. We're killing each other. We're stealing from each other. And the 100 people that are running and controlling from behind the scenes are just laughing. And they're making money on every single corner, every single side. We have to do one thing and one thing only. We have to stop playing their game. And when we stop playing their game, it's game over for them. And we can create a new paradigm on this planet and we can literally bring heaven to earth where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And there's obviously that spiritual side of developing our own empowerment and realizing and remembering who we are. Yeah. And there's also the technology that right now is going hand in hand with this sort of evolution that mm-hmm. humanity is going through. Yeah. And I found it interesting that there has been a lot of UFO UAP sightings yeah. that rose up recently mm-hmm. in just the last couple of months, mm-hmm. which kind of correlated or causated with the release of, of more AI into the public, right. to the hands of the public. Mm-hmm. Is there, do you see any sort of pattern? There's that? a huge pattern. You see the government, they're masters at neuroscience. They understand how to apply neuroscience and manipulate people's minds, Hmm. right? 
Now, when I took the class at MIT in applied neuroscience, this is one of the things that they taught. How do you shift mass consciousness? That's what the class really was about. And when you take this class, you begin to realize these techniques can be used for good or evil, right? Yeah. You can see it like they can be used for good or evil. They have chosen to use it for evil. So they understand how to time things. Oh, we can say this while we do this. We can do this while we do this. While they're looking over here, we can do this over here. You know, in the middle of the night, when they're sleeping, we'll pass this bill and now they have to pay income tax. And, you know, so, you know, we'll have a, we'll have a, we'll, we'll make this bill pass, but we'll distract them with this big problem, right? With these riots or whatever we'll create here. And now while that's all going on, everybody's outside picketing over here, we're going to pass another bill. Mm -hmm. Now we got to, you know, we, we have a banking system that steals all their money, right? You know, we have, so, so they keep this whole scenario going. Now it's UAPs and UFOs. Two agendas. One agenda is money. There's nobody else to destroy on this planet. We've literally gone to every country and every continent and we've destroyed everyone. We've installed our puppet dictators and we've created our, you know, our resource plan where we can steal resources from those lands, give those people peanuts and we can make trillions of dollars. Now, and we got the, you know, of course, you have the bank, the banking systems that we've installed all over the world. Okay. And now, okay, there's no more war machine to use. There's nowhere, there's no more money to gain from the people to say, we need this $7 trillion to go do this. So now it's got to be space. Hmm. So now by saying, hey, there's stuff up there that can kill us. It's a threat to our national and global security. Now people are going, oh my God, they can't stop these things. They're too fast. They can, if these things wanted to kill us, we'd be gone. Yeah. I mean, think about this. A civilization that can that can travel at five, 6,000 miles per hour and then make a 90-degree banking turn on the drop of a dime, and, you know, and an F-22 can't even touch it, mm. they're probably not going to come down here with guns blazing. If I had a kind of a civilization like that and I wanted to take a whole planet, I would just drop something in the atmosphere. And then three, two or three days later, everybody would be dead and I'd come clean up the mess. Even probably what I dropped in the atmosphere would probably disintegrate the bodies. I won't have to clean up anything. All the buildings will be intact. All the technology will be intact. Nobody's coming here with guns blazing. So, but they have this illusion that's what's going to happen. And so now we have a space force guy. We need the seven trillion. We need ten trillion. We need twenty trillion dollars. Now they got their war machine funded again. They're on the board of directors for these private corporations, which put them into black budget projects. So they don't have to. You a you can't use a FOIA act to see what they're doing with the money. Right. No Freedom of Information Act. You can't request it because they put it into private corporations. And now they get all this money. They're all making millions and billions at the expense of fear that they've pushed on people that doesn't even exist. Like we had the Gulf of Tonkin incident with Vietnam that launched the whole Vietnam War. They now finally admitted it was made up. It never happened. There was never an attack. There was never an attack at Gulf of Tonkin. But they made it up. Why? To get the people on their side. Now, guys, we're going to run into this 20-year war. Yeah. They made a lot of money and a lot of innocent you know, young people died at the expense of a few $10,000 suits that made a lot of money on the death of mm -hmm. those people. So that's, a, that's the whole agenda. It's always about these distractions. While this is going on, we're going to do this. While this is going on, we're going to do this. The AI is coming to take all the jobs. 300 million jobs will be taken with AI within the next 10 years, maybe less. 300 million jobs are going to be but the bills are still going to be due for the people. You see, mm. it's OK. Take the jobs, but then take away the burden. Mm. That's just that's the Star Trek way. Right. There's no burden and stuff. If you watch Star Trek, if you're a Star Trek Trekkie like me, they have the burden has been released from man. 
the people don't have to work for money. Money doesn't even exist anymore. Right. They work because it's something that they're passionate about, things that you just want to be a part of something and something to do. And they put all their effort into it because they're passionate about it. But they don't have to work. They can travel, do arts, learn about themselves, explore the universe, whatever they want. But if you're going to put the AI in and keep the bills and keep the burden, that's detrimental. Now you're destroying mm-hmm. the entire society. You're just destroying the planet with it. So it's a dangerous thing because it's in a capitalistic system. Yeah. And the capitalistic system, capitalistic system is going to allow them to thrive, even though it's going to become our own demise or could become our own demise. So it's a very tricky thing there, what they're doing with this AI situation. And a lot of people are going to become very dumb because kids are going to use AI to do all their work and they're going to have no knowledge in their head. You can ask me a million questions. I'm probably going to have 900,000 answers out of a million. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good ones, too. But that's because I did the work. Huh. I know the information. It's in here. I don't have to go run. Hold on. You said you asked me. Let me ask. Let me ask. AI, let me ask AI right quick and <laughs> see if I can get you a quick answer. I don't have to do that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? These kids don't know nothing these days. They fail in school and they got Google on their phones. I don't understand. Yeah, I feel you. And, you know, we when we start talking about AI and there's going to probably be more regulations around it. Yeah. If you were in an ideal society, probably an advanced civilization that has created their own sort of artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. what would be the best way use of this technology? What would you be using? What would you be channeling that technology into? I love the idea of it because there's so much that can be done to free the burden of mankind. So the first thing and the the first and most important thing is the programmers have to be conscious. Hmm. See, as above, so below, right? And so since as above, so below, and everything is a fractal, that means that the programmers that are writing this AI code, they're not conscious. You know how we know they're not conscious? Because you look at the way that the algorithms work on social media, they're racist, they're biased, right? They, they have agendas. We know this just by posting stuff on, on social media, how the AIs work and manage your social media account. And so... We have to have conscious programmers, people who are spiritually conscious on, and, and focusing on becoming an ascended wisdom keeper. Mm. That kind of knowledge then becomes a fractal into the programming language. A person with unconditional love, no hatred, no prejudice, no bias, no agenda. That's the point we got to get to. Mm. Now we got the programming code coming from that kind of mind. Now the fractal of that code, that AI, is going to take on the perception of the programmer. Now we have something that can possibly work, right? The next thing is, as AI as, as AI is developed to take over or dominate an industry, the people in that industry need to be relieved of their of their labor, of their load. In some way, shape, or form, they should not have to bear the load of their expenses uh, economically because that has been snatched away from them. And so now what do they do? And I think that in a future society, an AI situation where uh, it's programmed by conscious programmers. It's not biased or racist or anything else. And it's there to literally lift the load of mankind. That And then we begin to develop program. We know the money exists because every time you turn around, we're sending another country hundreds of millions of dollars. We're, oh, we're just sending them a hundred million today. Boom. It's a stamp. Oh, send a hundred million tomorrow. So we got the money. Money is just a, an instrument. It means nothing. It's, it's a consciousness of value attached to a piece of paper or digital zeros and ones in a computer. So we know that there's unlimited abundance. So we now use that, utilize that unlimited abundance to free the, the burden of man by taking away their bills, taking away their expenses and freeing them up to do the things that they're passionate about and give them an opportunity to work and do something in that field instead. 
mm. new training programs, new schooling programs, new education programs. What do you, what do you, what do you like? What is your passion? I always wanted to, I always wanted to do this. Okay, we're gonna put you in a class just for that and let you perfect that so you can be happy and feel fulfilled in your life. Mm. That's the future of what it should be. Yeah. Even reading into Dolores Cannon, I also saw that uh, in one of her sessions, they were explaining how in Atlantis, they wouldn't need this world government as mm -hmm. we have it. Yeah. These different governments around the world yeah. um, that are creating more and di more division. Mm -hmm. And they would train the children from a very young age to become or activate their psychic abilities. Yeah. They'd communicate telepathically. Mm -hmm. They would do a lot of different things with their mind because they were developing these traits. Mm -hmm. How would a world look like when yeah. everyone turns on their psychic abilities? Oh, have man. you turned on your psychic abilities? Well, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a process. I feel I have some higher sensory perception in certain areas, but not in all areas. There's people who mm -hmm. I've met, even uh, Courtney Kane Sides, who's a medium, that's uh, on my Forbidden Knowledge podcast. She's incredible. She told me things about myself that nobody knows. I never, I, I've kept them in complete darkness in my mm -hmm. own brain. She opened a file cabinet and took it out the file cabinet. <laughs> I'm like, damn. Yeah. So <laughs> there's people that are really gifted out there, right? And so it's like, wow. But, you know, I've been able to, I get things. I can discern information that comes to me. Whereas, in other words, there's frequencies that exist. And you talked earlier about the guy who passed away and saw the other side, and there's just a reckoning. Mm -hmm. Well, Thope talks about it in the Emerald Tablets, right? He calls yeah. it, uh, you know, um, uh, the Book of Life, but it's also called, we know, the Akashic Records. Yeah. And I know that the Akashic Records are real, not because of woo-woo, but because of quantum physics. Yeah. Every thought yeah. that you think creates a light wave that leaves your skull and goes. And we can't see the light because we only see 1% of the light. But every thought coming out of your brain right now, if I could see those light waves right now, <laughs> it'd be, be crazier. <laughs> all over the place. Right? All over. There's light coming out of me. There's lightning coming out of my head right now. You can't even see because we only got less than 1% of the light spectrum. We can't see gamma rays, x-rays, infrared, you know, ultraviolet, and, and so forth and so on. But these light waves, they go out. But what's on the light? Mm. It's encoded with information. Just like your cell phone. Cell phone right now is connected by light. Microwaves are light waves, waves of light. My cell phone is sitting here right now connected to a tower via a light beam that you can't see. And what's on the beam of light? Data. Same thing with your brain. This is a fractal of our human consciousness. It's sending out information. Every thought you've ever thought since you had a first thought is going out into space time. It exists on the grid. So sometimes you're walking around and you get an idea. Something comes to you. It's not that you originated the idea. A lot of times it's that you've downloaded the information. Scientists discovered that our brains can quantum, our thoughts, our synapses can quantum entangle with other thoughts that exist in space time. Yeah. Now it's real science. And you can get that information if you can discern it and mm -hmm. understand what that just was. And then the next step is, can you act on it? Mm -hmm. So my ability or my superpower has been the ability to be able to uh, get those epiphanies and recognize that I just got an information from a source, from the source out here, from the Akashic Records, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Now, what do I do with it? Is it something that I can utilize in what I'm trying to accomplish as my mission here on Earth? Mm -hmm. And I go and I dig into it, I research it, I study it, and then I then present it and bring it to the people. A lot of the times, information that I get like that, it gives me something new to talk about because it wasn't even on my mind until it came to me, and then yeah. I looked it up and it's real, and I go, oh my God, this is real, and now I'm putting it out. Mm -hmm. So. That's, you know, something that I've been able to, um, you know, I, I guess you want to say maximize that ability that I've had to get information. I was walking down the beach one day, 
doing a beach walking meditation and parabolic down conversion came to me. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is that? What? Parabolic uh, yeah, down yeah. conversion, right? What is that? I go and I look it up. Huh. It's how you take two particles and you phase shift them on the same frequency through a laser and then you quantum entangle them. Huh. That's how I learned about quantum entanglement. Yeah. You know, I was walking down the beach another day, beach meditation again. I love walking on the beach. I get quantum walking and I go mm. quantum walking. I go look it up. It's real. So all this, and now I'm making a movie called Quantum Walkers huh. for Forbidden TV huh. based on that walking meditation and that download that I got based on real science. So these things come to me. And so that's how it is that everybody has these special gifts. We just don't open our packages. You know, sometimes you have to be really quiet and just still and see what's coming to you. What abilities you have. Sit there and try to think about moving something. Sit there and think about, you know, communicating with somebody and see if you can get a response. Even if they're long distance, send a message to them. See what happens. See if they can call you. Call an elevator down. If I'm in a crowded building, before I get to the elevator, I'll start focusing. I want the elevator down here already. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go into a, a mall. I'll start thinking I want this parking spot, you know? Yeah. And so when I get there, there's a spot ready for me. So all these things are our natural abilities, but we don't exercise them. Huh. We don't try to use them because we think, oh man, this is stupid. No, yeah. try it and believe it and just see what happens. Yeah. Let's talk about the pyramids for a moment because I know that they were used to house a lot of data information, a lot of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And you you hear accounts here and there where people go into the pyramids and all of a sudden they activate yeah. a psychic ability mm -hmm. and it's activated yeah. and, and they turn it on. Yeah. Why is that happening? What what do the pyramids have mm -hmm. as just something unique about them that is yeah. allowing people to do this? The Great Pyramid itself is a multifunctional stone computer and some type of spiritual machine yeah. combined together. You know, I took 70 people in October into the Great Pyramid at Giza mm -hmm. and we, we went and sat down inside the King's Chamber and we chanted for about an hour, Om chant, wow. which is the primordial sound of the universe, Om, right? That's the sound of creation. And it was so powerful and so moving. We all came out of it completely different, completely different. There's something about the resonant frequency and the ratio, the two to one ratio of the resonant inside that king's chamber that harmonically, it does something to every cell and every strand of DNA in the entire body. It does something to your consciousness. It changes something in you. It takes you to a higher realm of understanding and, and, and belief. It's just an incredible thing. And just being around it, number one, there's over two million blocks, right, uh, of the Great Pyramid. Just standing right next to the Great Pyramid, time slows down. You're in a time warp. You're in a, you're, you're in a time bubble when you stand next to the Great Pyramid. It's time dilation. So anybody standing 100 yards, a mile away, they're experiencing time microns of a second different than you are. Time is beginning to slow down for you just by, so just that one effect in itself and then add to the fact that you have, you know, thousands of tons of crystallized magnetized granite on the base and inside the King's chamber, all that's affecting those magnetic fields are affecting your body and your DNA oh, yeah. as well. Well, you mentioned that we have these magnetite crystals in our brain. Yeah. Is that related to the crystals that are inside the pyramid? Well, what, see, magnetic fields, they connect and talk with each other all the time. You just don't believe me. Just take two magnets and put them on opposite poles. They'll repel or they'll, or, you know, you can switch it around. They'll, they'll attract. Yeah. So we know that these things trigger different responses and different hormones releasing from the brain. And you have magnetite crystals in your brain, billions of magnetite crystals. And your pineal gland is made of what? Crystal. Matter of fact, when you put pressure on those crystals, they give it a spark. So if you have a lighter 
If you have a lighter that you use to light your gas grill or whatever, or a cigarette, hopefully you don't smoke. But when you spark it, it's actually not a piece of flint in there. There's a crystal inside your lighter. When you do this, you're putting pressure on a crystal that creates a spark because when you put pressure on crystals, they spark. And then the gas from the inside lights that spark and that's how you get a flame, hmm. right? And so the same thing is happening inside of here. And inside the pyramid, they call the center of the pyramid the paya in ancient times. That's where the fire is located. It's hmm. just nothing but, nothing but a fractal, right? And so it's igniting this flame on the inside, this eternal spiritual flame of energy. And then you walk right into it. It's combining with your energy. And it's just a, you know, an amazing, amazing experience if you're open to allowing yourself to receive that. And it could activate different genes, which turn on different gifts. I see I take the woo out of it. All these gifts, telekinesis, psychic powers, um, you know, this higher sensory perception is all in gene codes. Hmm. It's all about turning a gene off or turning a gene on. Right now, the majority of us have our genes in those areas of sensory perception turned off. But going into a pyramid or something like that, a high energy field, which already on, it's already on top of a huge magnetic field whipping out of the earth. Yeah. All these temples are, and all of a sudden it activates a gene and a gene that gives you the capability of higher sensory perception, telekinesis, psychic powers, you know, mediumship, uh, higher levels of perception, whatever. And so it's all about turning a gene on it. I think the great pyramid has a capability of turning on genes in people's bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have personal accounts of friends mm. that have gone with Matias, yeah. the oh, yeah. and there's some stories behind that, but yeah. I wanted to ask you why right now NASA is trying to own the rights mm. uh, inside the King's Chamber. Is there an yeah. agenda behind that? There's a huge agenda. I mean, they're sucking up all the incredible sites and getting these these um, these uh, these ownership rights to these sacred places. <laughs> I, I, it's just mind blowing because it's telling me what I've been talking about is accurate. Because why would a space agency want access to information about an ancient site if it didn't have to do with space and astrophysics? So when you look at the Great Pyramid and its astrological alignments, right, with, with Sirius and, and with um, Aldebaran and Orion and all this stuff, it's like, what is this? The Pleiades, what's going on here? And now I remember, uh, I think it was 2014, when I was getting ready to go up into the Great Pyramid, uh, my guy was talking to one of the pyramid priests and one of the security guards, and they were saying, in the next 10 years, nobody might be able to come in here anymore. And she was like, why? What's going on? And it was because they said that NASA now owns the rights to the entrance into the Great Pyramid to get to the King's Chamber. Yeah. And so she said, well, why would they close it? And his excuse was well, what they told him to say, or maybe what he what they said, and he believes it, is that it, the pyramid's unstable. <laughs> the pyramid's unstable. For after all thousands this, of years? No. It's unstable after tens of thousands of years. All of a sudden, <laughs> it might collapse. Come on. There's some astrological scientific stuff that's going on there that they want to be able to research and scientifically study. And they don't want anybody else to discover it first. That's what it's about. When I I took a helicopter into the Grand Canyon about 2016, I think it was, I took a helicopter into the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. We went right down in a place where they sit, you know, this rumored to be this ancient Egyptian area where behind this um, opening to this um, cliff face. And I'm like, they said, you can't go over there. You know, I'm like, why can't I? But sacred ground and we don't allow anybody to go over there. And so I'm like, okay, so they have lunchtime now. So as everybody's eating lunch and everything else, I'm sneaking away from the picnic table. I'm sneaking away. I'm sneaking away. I finally find myself in this area where I can get away. And within not even 15, 20 seconds, this guy pops up. He's got on this all black. It looks like a military outfit, but with no insignias. Yeah. And he's got the AR 
And he's telling me, you got to go back. You can't come over here. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Like, why can't I, co- I don't know. What ca- why can't I come over? NASA owns the rights to this. I'm like, NASA? NASA, <laughs> NASA owns parts of the Grand Canyon now? So it's just craziness going on. Yeah. Um, and there's been other people that have tried to get in there as well uh, and had the same exact experience. I know Johnny Enoch just interviewed somebody a few months ago who tried to get in there. He, he went down, I think, on foot and hiked and camped or hiked to the place. Same thing happened. People came out of nowhere with the ARs, this black outfit with no insignia. You don't know who they work for, like a private security, and kicked them out and said, look, you're going to leave, man, and we're going to have to take you down. And Mm -hmm. he had to leave. Uh, So NASA is really, there's one other place before you go to the next one. In Egypt, when you're riding across to Dendera through the desert, right? I don't know if we were going to Dendera because we went to two places, Dendera and then you see Dendera. You go there and then you leave Dendera on, on another deep ride through the desert to Abydos, to um, mm-hmm. the Temple of Seti. Yeah. Between one of those two, it's a, it's a one day trek back and forth. On the right hand side, way out there, you'll see this gigantic warehouse. It's got a giant NASA logo on it. It's massive. It must be about 100 yards. It looks like a, a football field length, right? Mm-hmm. Way out there. It could be bigger because the distance is still big. Maybe it's even bigger in, clo- in person. And I asked the the driver and the guy to say, what in the world is NASA doing with um, this warehouse in the middle of the desert? Yeah. They said, oh, they make aluminum for us. <laughs> <laughs> they make aluminum. <laughs> I died. Listen, NASA's in Egypt making aluminum for the Egyptian people. Come on now. <laughs> Guys, there's something going on. Yeah. What it is, I have no idea, but it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it's just come on. I wish I could have had you know time to go out there, but obviously, that would have took off took over the whole trip, just yeah. sidetracking, going about another looked like maybe a half a mile out of the way just to go to this warehouse. But yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. it's it's something going on. I don't know yeah. what exactly what it is. Yeah, and yeah. and I know you wake up at four a.m. in the morning yeah. every day, mm-hmm. and you're up researching. Yeah, you're looking into things. You're traveling to the places. Mm-hmm. What are you most fascinated with right now that's caught your attention that, you know, some anomalies that are going on right now? Yeah. What what are you where is your curiosity taking you right now? My curiosity right now is um, I'm going back to Egypt in October, uh, taking another 70 people. Yeah. But the reason why I really believe I come up with a huge discovery in Saqqara, the halls of Amenti that yeah. both talks yeah. about. I truly believe that I've now after further research and going there again, mm-hmm. right, it is the Halls of Amenti of Enki, Ia Enki's Halls of Amenti, wow. where they would rejuvenate their bodies in these chambers. And in these alcoves under there, which are carved out of solid rock using a form of vitrification. In other words, there's no excavation. The way that these, the way that this um, Serapeum was created, there's no excavation. They use a boring machine. Now we have a machine just like this in real life. We own it. Not me personally, but the government has one that creates these underground tunnels for high-speed trains and so forth. It's called a nuclear boring vitrification machine. Mm. And it creates tunnels and it it vitrifies or burns the rock and creates the tunnel as it goes. No need for excavation. So you yeah. can make tunnels thousands of miles with no excavation team. Huh. This thing is made the same yeah. exact way. And the alcoves are so tight with these 10,000 uh, you know, pound or I'm sorry, seven, ten ton, ten ton um, sarcophaguses inside of them. Mm. There's no way to angle them into the alcove, so they will materialize there. There, 
They weren't built there because you have to have, I think, eight to 10 times the amount of granite to make it. They can't fit there then. So since they couldn't do that, they had to materialize them in these alcoves underground, right? 50 feet underground. And when you look at these, you see that they're te technological and I've gotten inside of them. Yeah. They're supreme, they're clean, they're, they're pristine on the inside. And I really do believe that that's E.R. Enke's Halls of Amenti that Thoth talks about that he goes into and says the master is um, you know, sleeping, but yet lives. And that is one of the many of Halls of Amenti that exist. And I think that I'm going back again this October because I'm gonna do more research on it and I'm gonna take more measurements. I'm taking different tools to measure different aspects of the orientation of the atoms in the granite and so forth. So I'm looking to put that in my new TV series, Anunnaki History. Yeah. 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 Sign me up. Sign me up for oh, that. Oh, yeah. You got to be in there. You're coming with me. Brother, uh, Enki. So yeah. let's let's unpack Enki. Um, he was... So the reason I'm bringing him up is because we're kind of going back to the beginning of what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And Enki sort of instilled in us when they were genetically modifying the Anunnaki, mm -hmm. genetically modifying yeah. us, our, our species. Mm -hmm he left this sort of code that would be able to supersede the yes. Anunnaki. Uh, why did he do that, do you think? Yeah. Uh, do you have any hypotheses around that? Yeah. And yeah, we'll start, we'll start. Well, I think it was a little bit of a jab to his brother and Lil, uh -huh. you know? Uh, Enki had taken a liking and a certain type of a special love for humans. Mm -hmm. And um, he had empathy for humans. Uh, and when he did the genetic modification, he put a little bit extra in there I think there was a little competition. Him and his brother are supposed to rule the planet together, right? Now, the Earth is named after E.I. Enki, although he didn't have supreme control over the planet. Hmm. His brother had a lower-ranking numerical number than him, and Enki's number was higher. So they, 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 they worked on a ranking system, the, the Anunnaki people. And this numerical ranking system, Enki should have superseded Enlil. But something happens which is never clear. It's never stated. It's never talked about in any tablets that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Why? And Lil superseded him, even though Enki should have been higher. The key and key. Key is Earth. Ea is the first initials of his name. That's how we got the planet Earth. It comes from Enki. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, when you say Earth, you're, you're calling on Enki. Oh. And um, so it may have been this thing between the two of them where... You know, I'm going to get him back, you know, for taking over and, and, you know, doing whatever he did and telling I knew or whatever he did to get him to supersede me and take away my kingship. Yeah. Uh, it could have been that. Like, I'm going to show him, like, when we start doing this, I'm going to do a little extra. And in the myth of Adapa, when you read that text, it tells you this is, you know, the myth of Adapa is about Adam, the first genetically perfected Homo sapiens sapien, not the yeah. first human being, the first perfected Homo sapiens sapien that could reproduce on its own. And he, Adapa, and you know, he's in there, you read it, it says, listen, Adapa, you were built and designed in a way that you have all knowledge, all knowing. You have higher sensory perception, higher skills and talents than even us, than even the Anunnaki. The whole, the, all the knowledge of the universe is now encoded into your body. So there's this time locking code in here, this, 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 you know, what do they call this thing when you, put, you you take something, you hide it away for years and you come back to it? What do they call time that? Time capsule. Time capsule. Yeah. There's a time capsule hidden in the body of man mm. waiting for us to rediscover who we are and how much power we actually have. And it's all based on genetic coding and DNA. Hmm. Yeah. And when we 
talk about how humanity, as they progress, some of these Anunnaki are still watching over us. Yeah. You know, we are their creation. So in mm -hmm. many ways, I think they're observing, kind of not intervening too much because mm -hmm. of the free will that we've had. Yeah. Uh, what? So when when we're looking at from an outer perspective, mm -hmm. these Anunnaki people. I've heard a lot of talk about the Galactic Federation. Mm -hmm. So have you found something that relates to the Galactic Federation in these tablets or in your own research mm -hmm. that indicates that there is this confederation mm -hmm. um, that is yeah. getting together different species from different universes mm -hmm. to what would be the purpose yeah. of this Galactic Federation? I, I haven't seen anything in the text that lays it out in that way. Yeah, I do know that in the Sumerian tablets, the Anunnaki call them call this being or entity the creator of all. Mm. And they say that this creator of all has rules and guidelines that they've broken. I don't know if the terminology creator of all refers to a federation or if it refers to an one entity, but it's something beyond what they themselves are. And they said that they will have to answer to the creator of all for what they've done on this planet. Yeah. So there was a certain level of fear in that statement. And so it's not clear as, as, if there's a, is it a federation, is it one entity, is it God, the real true creator of, of, of the universe? It's not really truly clear. The, the uh, Aboriginal people told me their handed down verbal history for thousands of years is that they were seated on this planet by the Pleiadians. Some beings in the Pleiadians brought them and put them on this planet. And it's the same story as the indigenous uh, American people, right? Mm -hmm. The indigenous natives. You're not supposed to call them Indians because Christopher Columbus called them Indians because he was lost and ended up uh, in the Caribbean and he thought he was in India. So he started calling them Indians. That's why Indians are offended when you call them Indians. They're indigenous natives. Had to put that out there. Anyway, so. That's very good. <laughs> drop it in there. Drop, drop it in there. <laughs> you know, so uh, again, they are, are talking about the Star Brothers, the Star Brothers that seated them on this planet and had interacted and engaged with them in some way, shape or form and gave them these rules. And all these ancient cultures and civilizations are always somebody from some higher up is coming down and giving these guidelines and these rules. Um, and it almost seems that the way the Anunnaki were talking is if they violated some type of a prime directive, like they weren't supposed to engage us the way that they did and they and broke a law. Who made that law? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's a God law. I think that's some type of a law that was issued by an organization of some type. And they even said that they were going to pay for bringing weapons to this planet. They brought weapons here. And so there's something out there that has established this guideline of protocols that they had violated. And they stated they violated their pro those protocols. That's the closest I can get to understanding that there may be some kind of rule or system. A universal law. A law, yeah. a universal law or a federation that is in place that they've, you know, that they've somehow broken those laws. And they thought that they would have to pay for that. Hmm. One of my favorite movies this year was Wakanda Forever. Oh, I man. We watched it. Oh, great uh, movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it brought me back to all of these things that you're talking about, because yeah. essentially Thoth was Ku Klux Klan in the Mexican culture. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I think these people in in Hollywood, they they're onto something as well. Yeah. Like they're exposing some oh, yeah. truths. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, sprinkling it in there. Sprinkling it in there. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did you see in that movie that, that resonated with you? Well, you know, first of all, Kuku Khan, who people don't know, that, that is Thoth the Atlantean. Yeah. Thoth was having a lot of arguments with his brother Marduk, aka Amin Ra, 
and their father, Ianki, said, listen, both get, go, to, go to the other side of the planet. Go start a whole other civilization over there because your brother's crazy. So he left and went to Mesoamerica where he became Kukulkan, Veracocha, Lord Fakal, uh, you know, all these different various names, the flying dragon, the flying serpent, and so forth and so on. Yeah. And he begins to build the Teotihuacan civilization. Yeah. The Teotihuacan. What does Teotihuacan mean? The city of Tahuti. Who's Tahuti? Both the Atlantean. In Africa, they call him Tahuti, Jehuti, Dehuti. But uh, Teotihuacan is the city of Thoth, basically. Uh, and he, I was just there. You were just uh, there? Last summer. I'm yeah, going yeah. In, a, in a week and a half. I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah, amazing beautiful, place. Beautiful. Beautiful place. When I went years ago, I didn't have the technology to uh -huh. film and record appropriately. So I was like a wasted trip in terms of, you know, recording. Footage, yeah. The experience was great, but the recording uh -huh. footage was horrible. No uh -huh. sound, like no mics. Uh -huh. Going back with the mics, going back with the right equipment. Going to take some great on-site video for the Anunnaki TV series. I, I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But that's who did that. So he built that entire And the Mayans didn't build it, which Mayans is what we've been nothing. told. Yeah, yeah. Fake. Fake news. Uh-huh. Even the people in, in Mexico will tell you the Mayans didn't build anything. When you mm -hmm. take university in, in Mexico for ancient civilizations about Mexico and Mesoamerica, they tell you Mayans built nothing. They inherited what was already there. The Aztecs came even like a hundred and something years after the Mayans and they inherited what was already there. They built nothing. That's why you have a culture that appeared to be technologically advanced, but then was ripping people's hearts out and eating the hearts and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Sacrificing virgins in wells <laughs> to make the rain come. I mean, how I'm going, wait a minute. When I first you know started studying this um, American version, I'm like, they got they can build pyramids and tech, they know star systems and layouts of the planets, but they snatching hearts out of chest. Yeah. Something don't sound right to me. <laughs> um, um. You can't be barbaric and sophisticated at the same time. So what happened when I finally went there? Years ago, I think it was 2015, I found out from a Mayan guide that the Mayans didn't build a damn thing. They mm -hmm. inherited what was already there. And the dynastic Egyptians inherited most of the stuff that was there as well. Mm -hmm. you, you can tell the newer structures because they're, they're not megalithic anymore. They're large, but they're broken into pieces and put together. They're not like, you know, 20 ton blocks anymore. Yeah. yeah. And we barely explored the ocean. Oh, man. <laughs> We it is open Pandora's box right there because yeah. Atlantic Ocean is mm -hmm. where this Atlantis. huge continent of Atlantis yeah. was. And mm -hmm. even in this book, Convoluted Universe, it says that parts of Atlantis are submerging from the from the water yeah. right now. We're mm -hmm. going to start probably uncovering new things yeah. that we haven't explored before. Mm -hmm. And the reason I also mentioned Wakanda Forever is because mm -hmm. in that movie, there's an underwater whole civilization, whole civilization. thriving. And yeah, and I saw that and I got so much chills like mm. when I saw just when they show that civilization. I don't know if it's a deep seated memory in my mm -hmm. DNA that yeah. activated, but yeah. I know you've talked about these underwater beings yeah. or civilizations that yeah. I'd love to explore a little bit. You know, the oceans are so vast and so incredible. I remember I was on a flight to the Maldives a few years ago. I think it was two years ago now. The first time I went to the Maldives and, and you know, the flight uh, computer, you have a screen and now you can yeah. see the radar images and everything right from your screen at, from the, of the ocean or the land beneath you. And I'm just staring at this as we're flying over the ocean, right? Now we're over the Indian Ocean and I start seeing what looks like anomalies. I'm like, wait anomalies. a minute. I start going, wait a minute. What is this stuff? What is down there? Like you said, we haven't even explored this. There's so much down there underneath the water, structures, ancient temples, remnants of ancient civilization. And maybe, just maybe, 
the beings that we see are coming up from here, maybe they're coming from the ocean. You know, we think they're flying around and going back into space. Maybe they're just going right back into the ocean. A little sip of oxygen. Listen, you never know. <laughs> they get some, come up here to grab some uh, atmospheric gases they use for their power generator or whatever. Yeah. You know, we don't even know. There's so many possibilities, right? Let me snatch some oxygen and hydrogen right quick, and let me snatch some of this uh, ozone and argon, and then we'll come back and put it inside of our, our, our power generator. So it could be, and I hypothesized this when I was a kid, because I saw a UFO in my backyard in mm -hmm. 1977, and I only had a couple of friends I could talk to about it. We would go in the bushes to talk, because no, nobody else can hear what we were saying, because we'd be crazy, right? Mm -hmm. And we hypothesized, we said, what if they came from the ocean? Maybe they didn't come from, maybe they came from the ocean. So it's possible that there are beings under there. We know Christopher Columbus in his captain's log talked about a UFO coming up out of the ocean and lighting up the sky. Now in the 1400s, there was no electricity. <laughs> the best you had was an oil lamp, right? Yeah. And when it's dark in the night, it's pitch black. There's no light pollution back then. And so what in the world did he see that came out of the ocean and lit the entire sky up like the sun? That's in his logs. <laughs> so it means that there is something that's going on, something that has happened, and that's not the first anomaly being recorded by an official source of something coming out of the ocean. And for that reason that we don't know about it, do you think it's because they do not want to interact with the surface civilization, or would there be any other reason that you could hypothesize of, of why? We could be ants. We can be, you know, you know we could be like ants to them. Uh, we're very... Um, aggressive and angry people, not the entire 8 billion of us, but the 100 that control us and have us like puppets telling us to send that missile and blow these people up right quick because we don't like them. But they're, they're, we think there might be a threat, kill them right quick. So we have this whole system of military on this planet where um, the people with the $10,000 suits never get their hands dirty. And these beings, they know this, that in any moment, one of one of us could turn on them based on an order that we've been given to try to kill them, slaughter them, turn them into a laboratory experiment, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. And so I think it just observe us. And um, I was watching another Star Trek episode not too long ago, huh. an old version of uh, an old series called uh, Star Trek Generations, mm -hmm. Captain Picard. They had gone to this planet and they had created these um, fake rock uh windows they 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 they're like they could see out but the people think they're looking at a mountaintop mm -hmm. right or a cliff but their people are in there from the starfleet just researching and watching this culture develop they're at the point where they have bow and arrows now and they're just observing this culture they're watching them seeing how they develop seeing how their culture works and and, and all this kind of stuff and there's a malfunction where they get exposed basically and then these people begin to think that they're God and they're actually not God. So Picard's got to come down and say, look, I'm not God. We had a mistake. Huh. You weren't supposed to see us. We were just observing you and so forth and so on. And they're like, why would you want to observe us? And because, you know, we're trying to learn about cultures on different planets and we're not supposed to violate the prime directive. Right. Yeah. But so they could be operating in that same scenario. Let's continue. Is the prime directive the law of free will? Or no, the prime directive is the law to for an advanced civilization to not interact or engage a less advanced civilization. Yeah. According to their prime directive in this sci-fi series, they can't engage another civilization openly and say, hey, this is who we are, unless that civilization civilization has achieved warp travel. Wow. So if you have if you're warp capable, we can say, Hey, what's up? I'm from Earth and we got warp two, and this is what we've been doing out here in the universe. 
But if you don't have warp, if you're still on rocket engines, you know, like chemical rockets or less, they're not allowed to tell you who they really are. They have to disguise themselves and kind of fit in with your civilization mm. just for observation purposes and gather information and data. But they can't be like, hey, I have a starship up above, the, uh, above us. Yeah. They can't do that. So this mm. prevents uh, contaminating timelines and civilizations that are developing. Yeah. So at what point would humanity have to be in order to be able to join our galactic brothers and sisters, yeah. let's say on a more galactic, open, 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 basis. Yeah, yeah. open basis. Yeah. I think that right now they're watching us. This is what I talk about in the Black Knight Satellite documentary. If you haven't yeah. seen it, you got to go to Forbidden Knowledge TV, watch the Black Knight Satellite. I believe that's a watching device. It's the all seeing eye that's watching us and transmitting information back to wow. the people that seeded us on this planet. This is like an abandoned seed colony. And I think it's a remnant device that's watching us. Mm. But it may not be that, okay, we're not using chemical rockets and we have warp drive. That's sci-fi. But in reality, it's do we grow up? They're watching to see when do 8 billion people, right, overthrow the 100 people that's, that's controlling them. Stop allowing that level of control, power, domination to continue to turn us against each other and kill each other and destroy each other and enslave one another based on conscious thoughts coming out of this small group of people's heads. Mm. Um, so it's a growing up process. Yeah. When humanity begins to grow up and when we, when we mature to the point where we realize who we really are and what we're capable of doing and that we're now not a threat to ourselves, which means we're not a threat to the people in the universe. That's when the doors open up and say, okay, you guys can have a seat at the table now because you're not here to destroy, kill, and try to put your boot on the neck of some other ancient civilization that may be out there in space somewhere if you come across them. You're here to uh, know, you know, love, learn, explore, and, uh, and grow that, you know, that natural thing that we have of inquisitiveness and everything else, but not to hurt and, over, and, and try to uh, overpower someone, but to just learn and love and spread love and help and assistance throughout the universe. I think right now we're in a point where if we were given that access right now today, mm. The powers that be who control us like puppets would have us out there trying to dominate, would have us out there trying to take over and snatch land away from people already on a planet. Oh, there's only a thousand of them. We could take this planet. I can see them saying, oh, a thousand. Oh, we'll just take that planet. We'll make this into new real estate. We'll have we'll have vacations to this planet yeah. soon. Kind of like Avatar. Like Avatar. Yeah. They can come. Oh, they can work. We'll give them jobs now. They can they can work. For, and if you don't work for us, then you go to jail. They, that's what they did to the Aboriginal people. And, you know, so it's like we're not ready for that right now. We would then immediately take the capitalistic mindset, the control, the domination, uh, and we would even bring weapons into space and try to destroy other races. Yeah. So but not because we truthfully want to, because the powers that be who control us like puppets tell us to. And we say, oh, we got to fall in line and listen. When we stop listening to those people and start listening to our own consciousness, that's when we're going to begin the growing up process. And then, hmm. you know, eventually at some point in the future, we can make a seat at that table by being all knowing, all loving, kind individuals and looking to help and assist not to destroy and dominate. What have you learned, Billy, from the indigenous tribes that are still around right now that have received not too much contact from mm -hmm. modern human civilization? Yeah. I know you've been to these sites, yeah. you've talked to the aboriginals. Mm -hmm. What have you learned from them when they're giving you sort of their perspective on yeah. life? What I learned can, was that, that we can adapt, that we yeah. can learn from. It's, um, you know, one of the biggest things I've seen is, you know, no military, no police. <laughs> yeah. There's no police force. 
Huh? There's no, no there's no violence. There's no laws being broken. There's no murder. You know, there's no theft. Right. The Dogon tribe for thousands of years never had and still don't have a police force, military, no, no robbery and no crime, no jails, mm-hmm. no prisons. And the secret behind them being able to do that is only this kindness, love and communication, mm-hmm. open communication, talking problems out, figuring things out. Um, and the fact that they were already free until we came and stole the land. And now said, now, because we're here and we stole it from you. Now you have to pay us to be on top of it. And if you want to pay us, that means you got to work for us or you got to get off the land. So this is this whole thing where we, we, we go to somebody else's paradise and then we take it from them and say, now you got to come do this for us or you can't be here. Um, you know, and they've learned to live in unity with nature. They've learned to be at one with the earth and with each other. And so when you look at that, you see we need to create a more harmonious civilization. One that's one, one that's one with nature and the universe itself. Electric cars is not it. That's not one with the universe. It's not one with nature. Those cars are driven on lithium batteries with kids, slave labor, mining them out of cobalt mines and lithium mines that are collapsing on them and killing them every day. They're dying from the gases and everything else. It's an illusion. We need to really truthfully find a way to create a civilization that can work together with the earth and with everyone else. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that comes from their relationship with the plants and the way that, you know, for example, the shamans, they get the vision entering the spirit world through Mm -hmm. psychoactive uh, medicines. Yeah. Is that a, a main reason in these cultures that they're able to have that understanding of nature is with their relationship with the plants. What's amazing with these cultures is their real knowledge of botany. Like it's so like mind blowing. Who figures this stuff? Like without a chemistry set, without an electron microscope, you know what I'm saying? Without lab rats. And how do they figure this stuff out? Who, how do they know if I do this, this, and this, I'm going to have this experience or I'm going to heal this or cure this. You know, it's amazing yeah. that that's when you really, truly are one with nature. Nature tells you the information is coming from nature to you and it's t- talking to you and you're able to discern it. And these sages and these wise men and these and these um, uh, these elders, they have learned these techniques and they figured out how to connect with nature. And when they do this and they have these experiences, they gain the real wisdom and the knowledge which they bring back to the people. And, you know, so it's a lost art. Now it's. Unfortunately, a lot of people are doing these plant medicines just because they want to have the experience, but they don't want to learn and grow from it. They just want to feel, see what it feels like. Have you ever had an experience? Not through any plant. I've never taken any plant. I have nothing against it. I just have never had to take it. I do breathwork meditation, which releases natural DMT from the brain, from the pineal gland. You can increase your DMT output from your own pineal gland through a breathwork meditation. It takes you about two hours, Mm. but I can do it in the safety of my own home. Nobody's going to rob me, rape me, you know, take my organs out of my body. You know, when I come out of it, I'm going to be safe and secure. And so I chose that option, chose that method to just do it uh, through breathwork meditations versus doing anything, uh, you know, out in somewhere where I don't know where I'm, what I'm doing with who, who the people I'm doing it with. I just chose that option for me. And through the breath, have you been able to explore these realms of the spirit world and maybe even connected with an ancestor or have you had those types of experiences? I haven't connected with any ancestors, but you could see beings. You can you can experience this sacred geometrical shaping or that's these, these shapes that start forming all around you. Mm-hmm. And you get the feeling of this presence that's there. 
and that there's so much more than just you, you get this expansion feeling, right? Coming, going outward to, to the universe. Mm. Uh, it's really an amazing feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We've covered a lot. I we've know. covered a lot. I think, <laughs> I think that one of the sort of final topics that I'd like to talk about is this worship gene that, mm. that you've mentioned many yep. times that, you know, we've scattered it throughout the conversation, mm -hmm. um, yep. but really making people aware that what is this worship gene and how can we overcome it? Scientists discovered that in the human genome, there is a gene that can be turned on. And the problem is we're born with it on, <laughs> on purpose. Huh. And so this gene gives a person the need or feeling that they need to want to worship something on the outside, not on the inside, not to go internal, but to look, everything is external. And so they started experimenting with this gene. They found it by accident. Mm. But when they turn this gene off, the person doesn't have the want or the need to explore exterior worship of anything. The person begins to self-reflect on their own self. And so this gene is a, uh, uh, what they call an artificial mutation. Now, artificial mutation, that tells you what it is right there. It was done, mm -hmm. estimated somewhere around 200,000 years ago. What's interesting is, according to Sumerian tablets, when was Homo sapien sapien first perfected? About 200,000 years ago, the Adamu, first man. So we're looking at a mutation that happened thousands of years ago, hundreds of thousands of years ago, that was done artificially, not through regular evolutionary processes. So mm -hmm. they know that through regular evolution, this can happen according to them, but it would take millions of years. Mm -hmm. Something that we don't have. We haven't been here that long. So it didn't happen that way. That's why they say artificial. Yeah. Someone, something, somebody did this to us. And what did the Anunnaki require of us? The majority of them required us to worship them, worship them, pray to them, thank them, bring them offerings. What was this whole offering thing about? The whole mm -hmm. offering thing, if you've been to these temples, they have the storehouses for all the offerings. That's the mm -hmm. food. These people ain't going to go hunting. <laughs> They're not hunting for food. They're not going to go out there with a, a bow and arrow and a javelin and, and kill these rabbits and these cattle. Man, you got to kill them yourself and bring them the food. And they say, oh, you're blessed, man. You're blessed. Okay, go get, get out of here. Huh. And then they put the food in the <laughs> storehouse. Then you bring them all the vegetables and all the fruits and everything from your first harvest. They're eating that stuff, man. It was a pimp game, the ultimate pimp game. Mm. And so they got people, you know, people today are still doing this, these sacrifices and all this stuff. That was for food, man. They weren't going to go hunting nowhere. They, we're going to get them to bring the food. So you're worshiping these people so much that you're going to do anything you can for them. You're going to kill for them. You're going to kill your animals, slaughter your animals. You're going to you bring your first harvest, the best of the best. You eat the second or the third worst. Give them the best. And that's how they did it, through the worship gene, yeah. the ultimate pimp game. Yeah. And worshiping, I think it also plays out in our interpersonal relationships where yeah. we give our power outside to someone. Yeah. And then that all starts a whole dynamic yeah. in, the, in our relationships as well. It does. And I just wanted to mention that because a huge part of this movement is going to require us to take that power and bring it within yeah. ourselves. We have to deactivate it. To deactivate it is difficult because this mm -hmm. need or this feeling to want to do that is so strong inside of us because it is a code and it's a programming code activated in the avatar body. Yeah. You have to begin to realize what's going on with your thoughts. So you have to become the observer of your thoughts and realize that you're not your thoughts. You are the observer of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then and only then can you break free of the spell of this gene that has you feeling like you want to worship something on the outside. Yeah. So if there's the worship gene. 
what other genes are disempowering us and which ones can we start to turn on yeah. that will change the course of humanity? Well, I think there's genes for several things. Self-doubt. Mm. There's genes in the body that create self-doubt. When that gene is switched on, a person doubts themselves. They doubt everything about themselves. And some of these genes can be activated just by certain situations that we get into, right? And so self-doubt is a huge problem. A lot of people out there suffer from self-doubt. Mm. They don't believe in themselves. They don't believe in anything they could possibly do. They don't believe in anything that's going on within themselves. Everything they think of, everything they, everything they try, I'm a failure. I'm no good at anything. This self-doubt. And that self-doubt gene turns into a bad karma because it's a negative energy that goes out and then the universe sends you back more negativity, more problems, more issues, making you feel like you're even more dumber or worse than you even were before. And so that's a vicious cycle that you can get into. I think that what people can do really to focus on not looking for all the bad that's in them, but focusing on the affirmations and knowing that through positive affirmations, scientifically proven in peer-reviewed studies can begin to rewrite your DNA and activate positivity within your gene code. So if you give, a, there's a great one, a 369 technique. Mm. You can write down uh, nine affirmations about yourself. You can speak them out loud three times a day, right? Every single day out loud, saying them actually out loud. And you can do that for a week, six days. You'll begin to, at that point, begin to rewrite. And if you do it again and duplicate it again, and then duplicate it again, more and more of your code will begin to be rewritten. Mm-hmm. Scientists showed that if you consistently do that for just 21 days by itself, you will actually begin to rewrite your own DNA. And that's mainstream science. So when mainstream says it, man, you'd really hate to say something like that. <laughs> they hate to say that you can rewrite your own DNA and make yourself positive. Uh, if you're feeling down, sad, if you're feeling um, you know, in a bad mood, you can literally go into a private area, go sit in your car, and you can start talking positive to yourself. And you can actually uh, remember, focus on a memory of joy that you had in your life the first, the, you know, the first time you saw your newborn baby or whatever it could be, anything, anything that brought you a level of joy that's memorable. And it will begin to change and alter your emotions and your hormones in your body. Your cortisol will go down, right? And then you can begin to speak positive to yourself about yourself. I am worthy, you know? I am healthy. I, I, I deserve this. I am great. I can do this. I can accomplish anything, you know, uh, and all these kind of things. Instead of saying it's impossible, I am possible. All these things you can begin to talk to yourself, but say it with fervor and really truthfully believe it in your heart of hearts. And then you'll see your life will begin to change. Yeah. And your life is a example. Thank you. Of that, man. Thank so you, man. I, really I went through a that. lot, man. It took me a lot to get to where I am yeah, today. Yeah. But I did the work. Yeah. I did a lot of work on myself. I went through so much stuff, but I did the work. I didn't give mm-hmm. up. A lot of people get to the point where there's so much coming at them all the time. They just say, man, I can't do this anymore. And they mm-hmm. succumb to it. And that's when you get the PTSD. I took the PTG route, post-traumatic growth. I took all my experiences and I learned from every single one. I said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do better. And I'm going to try to avoid that situation again. And I kept trying to do better and trying to do better. And I've gotten to this place in my life where there's a certain level of equilibrium mm. that I've been able to accomplish. And it doesn't mean that I don't have any problems. But what it means is the problems have significantly minimized themselves and the joy and the exhilaration and the happiness and the prosperity and, and, the, and everything else has just accelerated for me, you know. Yeah. And but everyone can get to that point. Every single person can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get to what we do on, on our show, the, the final trio, yeah. which are the final three rapid fire questions you can mm-hmm. answer in any way that you want. Yeah. 
the first one that occurred to me was if you could send out mm -hmm. a telepathic thought or concept mm -hmm. to the next generation of yeah. leaders, mm -hmm. what would you send out? I would send them the thought that they need to be able to uh, think about the future generations and the uh, consider the future uh, legacy of all the future generations that are coming, the prosperity, right? Because without them, the civilization would come to an end. Mm -hmm. And so instead of taking the mindset, I would say, don't think of what's good for you now in this moment and how much you can make now and what you can do now without considering the future effects that it's going to have, the long-term effect on the planet and the people in the future, but consider the future first and then plan backwards so that you can ensure a proper prosperity, proper legacy being left behind for future generations on this planet. And that segues, like literally I had this perfectly yeah. planned out because <laughs> the next question is, what is your legacy? Oh, wow. That's what right behind you, that, that board right there, legacy, it's my legacy board on your, on your right shoulder, right? So my legacy board is all about creating this infinite loop of prosperity not just financial prosperity, but knowledge prosperity, the prosperity of not only the knowledge, but how to apply knowledge. Mm -hmm. So knowledge is not power. Knowledge is just information until you apply the knowledge. Applied knowledge is power. And so I have this legacy that I want to leave behind about how to gain the knowledge, how to apply it in your life. And the side effect of that is going to be abundance. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And we asked this question in the last conversation, mm -hmm. but I wanted to I was curious to see if it had shifted or changed yeah. for you, but it was essentially this time capsule question mm -hmm. where we had to travel a little bit into the future, 15, mm -hmm. 20 years into the future. Yeah. And you were given a time capsule and you mm -hmm. had the opportunity to put in anything that you wanted in this time capsule mm -hmm. and you would leave it behind yeah. for humanity, for, you know, the next generation, mm -hmm. as we said, the next generation of leaders. Yeah. What would you leave in this time capsule? I think now what I would leave in there is I would leave in a message about the prosperity of mankind through affirmations. I would leave a list of affirmations in there. I would leave in there also uh, a record of history of the failures of mankind mm -hmm. and the corrections that we can make, that, the things that we can do to correct those past failures to move forward towards a golden age. Yeah. And then the last, the last thing I would leave in there would be information about the sustaining of an age. I believe that there's nowhere written that we have to fall and collapse every single time that we live in this cycle is what we're told, but it's not that it has to happen. It's just that it has happened. And I would like to write there that, listen, we have obtained this level of consciousness. Now the mission is to sustain it. Don't let it fall again, hmm. sustain this level. And these are the instructions on what to do to keep it at this a specific level. Yeah. Yeah. We had on uh, Richard Rudd, the mm. writer, scribe of the Gene Keys, yeah. let's say, and he's a big proponent of contemplation. Mm. So as I'm looking, we have right now almost 1,800 people watching yeah. and we've you know, created some, some leaps <laughs> in consciousness in this conversation. Yeah. Is there any question that you would leave for people today to contemplate as their day goes on, yeah. as their week goes on, that can maybe create a shift in, mm. their, in their thought process, in their consciousness? Yeah. I would ask people to ask this question, am I God? And then begin to look deeper into what that means. Not that you got a magic wand and you can create planets and universes, right? And you can zap people into existence, but that the same divine spark that created everything in the entire universe is inside of every atom inside of your body and your spiritual energy is connected directly to the divine. And ask and dig deep into it. ask that deep question and then begin to look at the as above, so below, the aspect of what you believe 
creation is and how what unconditional love is and then begin to apply that to your life and see can you unfold that same way can you live on that same paradigm that same parallel as the greatness and the area that you're in right now in this particular third dimension how can you expand upon that greatness of that unconditional love that the universe has for everything and everyone in it how can you expand upon that in the third dimension and extrapolate from that how can you be of service to others how can you uh, you know, assist others? How can you find ways to bring knowledge and wisdom to the planet and to your own future offspring? How can you be a part of that change, that paradigm shift, that uplifts? How can you be a part of true knowledge? You know what I'm saying? Not the fake, no, not dogma, but true knowledge. That, if you can answer that question, see that you can be a part of that, you're gonna realize you are God walking in the flesh. So just ask your question, are you God? Are we God? That's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank, Thank you, you, man. Appreciate so it, man. Thank you so much. It's been phenomenal. Phenomenal. <laughs> this guy's phenomenal. Go to his YouTube account, okay? Emilio Ortiz. It's in the, the link is in the caption of this video. Guys, we got to run. We got to go to a meeting right now. Thanks for hopping on this Pop Pup podcast. All right? We love you guys. Peace. Much love.